A subject from one of my past shows contacts me. A man is part of the front war against Russia's attacks against America. And then we take a look at the story of a serial killer. A man who haunted the foggy streets of Bucharest in 1970. But was it just a crazed man? Or was he a werewolf? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. My root canal went fine, but then later that night I tore a ligament in my foot doing something stupid. I've been hobbling around Hood River ever since. Actually, that's not true. I was trapped inside my house playing Minecraft. It was horrible. I normally, on my days off, just hang out at home. But when you know you can't leave, it's ten times worse. But I'm doing better. I'm doing better. Got a little brace for my ankle. Got my crutches. Thought I broke it. Loud snap. Nope, just rolled it. Laid on the ground. Hobbled it to the hospital. Got it x-rayed. And we got some new Patreons. Guys, this is so awesome that you guys are supporting the show in this way. The show is now more than paying for itself, so I really appreciate that. These are our newest Patreons. We have Duncan Allen. We have Spiritual Abortion. We have Mickey Knox. Girlfriend Mallory is not included in this Patreon. Uh, maybe, yeah, she's probably kicking down half of it. Maybe Mallory Knox is there. Love Me Some Pickles. Who doesn't? And Kyle. Kyle just joined the Patreon as I was prepping this episode. So, Duncan, Spiritual Abortion. I can't really shorten your name. Would it just be Spiritual? Duncan Allen, Spiritual Abortion. Mickey Knox, Love Me Some Pickles, and Kyle. Thank you very, very much for supporting the show. It means a lot. It really, really means a lot. Thank you so much, guys. I got uh, another piece of news before we get started. So this has happened a couple times where I've covered a particular person on the show and then they find the episode. Michael Melkin or Michael Minkin, I don't remember his exact last name. He was the inventor of the Neuro hat. We covered that uh, just a couple episodes ago. It's a hat that has Velostat in it. You put it on, it keeps aliens from harassing you. And it helps you if you have hopeless autism. That's his claim, not mine. He found the show, and he's been commenting on the video saying, I got some facts wrong, that he doesn't sell the hat, which I never said he sold the hat. But he goes on and on about all this stuff. And then he gave me the opportunity to interview the mother of two autistic children who wore his hats, and now they're in college. Now, I'm not going to do that. That's gross. Like, I don't have a problem debating people at all. But I'm not going to be like, you're, you, mom, you're lying. Those kids still have autism. Like, I'm not, there are some lines I won't cross. However, I haven't responded to him yet because that'll just happen this afternoon. I will interview him. If he's down for it, I would love to interview him and find out exactly what's going on. Now, I will say this too. I, a lot of people want to ask for feedback. They said, you should do interviews. When we do interviews, because that's something that, and I really appreciate all the feedback you guys have gotten me, a lot of good stuff. When we do interviews, it will be an extra episode. I know everyone likes the format. They like the five days a week of wacky news, weird conspiracies, creepy stories. When we start doing interviews, there will be a sixth episode for that week. It'll be a Saturday interview. That way you still get your five episodes. You're not getting skimped out on that. So I'm going to contact him. Mostly it's been a technological issue why I don't do interviews. Skype recording isn't that good and uh, and all that stuff, but we'll try to work it out. 
And when we do it, you will on the weeks we have interviews. You'll have your regular five episodes, and then an interview on Saturday. The it, the sound quality may or may not be perfect, but I want to make sure you, I'm not changing the format of the show just to get these guys to talk about whatever nonsense they're talking about. So that's probably not going to go well if he's listening to this episode. But yeah, I'd love to interview him, find out more about him and the science behind the neuro hat. I'll keep you guys updated on that. Let's go ahead and jump into our first story, though. Our first story just happened on Tuesday. Very, very recent story. I actually just saw it maybe about an hour ago, and I thought, right up my alley. Right up my alley. It's August 20th. It's a warm summer. It's still summer, right? It's a warm summer day in Maple Falls, Washington. The most delicious city in the state. And the police get a phone call. They're like, shh, I don't know. That phone call doesn't get... They get a phone call and then they go to the radio. Then the 911 person calls the radio and there we go. Breaker 11. We have a possible dude doing stuff over on a power line. And the cops are like, that's weird. That's not procedure. That's not how we talk. Uh, 189, 189. They're like, oh, power line disruption. So get in their car. They're already in their car. The sirens are going off. They just don't leave the siren going. They get in their car. Driving down the road, apparently. It's like an old-timey ambulance. They're driving through the streets. They're going really fast. They're, like, jumping over the hills. Two guys are carrying a plate glass window. Car goes through that. Out of our way. It's a 189. And the guys are like, well, that was our window. That was our only window. Cop pulls up in front. Now, there's a dude who's cutting the power line cable. Like, you have the power pole. You know, the big wooden things. Power lines is what I'm talking about. Power lines, not the power pole. That was a club I used to go to. Power pole. Sorry, damn it. Power line. You have a giant wooden power line. And a guy is cutting the cables to it. Cops are like, freeze! You're disrupting energy. He turns around. Hisses. But no, he doesn't. He doesn't hiss. He's held there. And they go, what were you doing? He's like, I'm trying to save America. I'm trying to save America. Slam him on the cop car. I don't know of any. Okay. The point, they went and found a guy at a power line and arrested him. Everything else was from an 80s movie I saw. They take him downtown. They take him to the station, right? Sergeant has a big old mustache. He's like, damn it. I told you guys, you got to start playing by the book. You killed five men arresting this guy. They're like, I have my own book. It's called the Book of arresting people (laughs) so anyways the cops just ignore the sergeant they take this unnamed man he hasn't been identified into the interrogation room and they're like what were you why were you cutting the power lines and he's like okay i'm gonna be honest with you guys this is what's going on i work for the u.s government and the military two separate things they're totally unrelated and they're like that's kind of weird never split your class he's like i know i know don't split your class but I'm working for the U.S. government and the military. And they're like, okay, well, now we know who you're working for. Do you have any ID? And he's like, here, let me just continue my (laughs) insane story. And they're like, okay, that's what we figured. He goes, listen, Russia, you know what Russia is, right? Russia, big, big country to the east. They have a group called the KGB, which is no longer around, by the way. KGB is no longer around. They changed it to like F something, FGR or something like that. Anyways, he's like, KGB. Because I don't know the new name. KGB is still around in Russia. And they hate America. Because apparently it's 1969. And the KGB have decided that they are going to start poisoning us beautiful Americans. They're going to poison us 
with nuclear toxins. Just leans back in his chair. Puts his hands behind his head. Cops are like, okay, that doesn't explain why you're cutting the power lines. He's like, oh, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, I didn't explain that part. The KGB it wants to poison America with nuclear toxins. And they're using the power lines to pump them into our houses. So I was saving America. I am a hero saving America by cutting these power lines. Cops go, that's insane. And the guy goes, no, 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 that's not insane. Wait till I tell you the next part. So this guy who was cutting power lines to prevent all of us, a true American hero, I might add, to prevent all of us from dying of nuclear toxins, said that he was told to do this. His handler for the U.S. military slash U.S. government was the one, the only, the beautiful Ariana Grande. Yes, Ariana Grande, singer, television star, government agent. She was apparently telling the man that this whole plan, the KGB was trying to do this. Now, the reason why I want to highlight the story, one, because it's funny and I like talking about Ariana Grande, but two, I wonder, like, I've never gone insane, and I've always wondered what that's like. Was he literally, like, listening to an Ariana Grande song? It's like, thank you, next thank you, the KGB is trying to poison everybody. And like, the, does the voice change? And he's like driving down his car and he's like grooving. All of a sudden he hears a voice. Did it speak in her voice? Was it Ariana Grande to be like, hey, you might know me from Sam and Cat, but actually I'm a government official and you need to cut the power. Like, how did the delusion sound? I, I get that people have delusions, but I'm wondering like how the delusion presented itself. Did she walk in his door and she's like, oh my God, you got to help me. And or was it like an audio hallucination? Did he was well, watching a sexy music video with Ariana Grande dancing around? All of a sudden, like a PowerPoint presentation showed up, and she stops the video. All the dancers are standing there just watching her point at a pie chart of nuclear toxins. Like, how did it present itself? That's what I am always more intrigued about delusions like that. But was he sitting there eating Cheerios, and all of a sudden Ariana Grande was like dancing around in his head? Well, did he see a music video? I just find that fascinating. And why Ariana Grande? But to be fair, he may be right. They could be pumping nuclear toxins in through our power lines, and Ariana Grande could be. She could be Q. She could be a government agent because no one would suspect her. She would be the perfect spy. She travels all over the world. No one would suspect someone who's five foot three. Maybe if we all listen to Ariana Grande, we would be victorious. <laughs> okay, so. <clears throat> That was terrible. Um, the point is, is that that's super bizarre. And he's being charged with malicious mischief. Great name for a band. But let's go ahead and move on to our next story. That was a little shorty. Hey, just like Ariana Grande's a little shorty. She's, she's pretty hot. But that all being said, let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Now, our next story was actually a recommendation that I had stumbled across. I was looking for something else. And I found this. I was going through YouTube. I was looking to see if someone had recommended a particular story. Now, a lot of people have sent me in recommendations, and I've never covered them. And it's not that I thought the idea was stupid. It's I haven't gotten around to it yet. If you sent me something like eight months ago, a year ago, and I haven't covered it yet, it's not because I was like, ah, that sucks. A lot of time, it's just that I, I notate it and file it away, and then when I'm going through stuff, I'll find it. And that's what happened with this one. This one I actually didn't even notate. It was just sitting in my YouTube comments. This is from Mercia. Mercia on YouTube. So, been a long time, but... Here we go. The year is 1944. World War II is winding down, and we are smack dab in Romania. 
We're in Romania, World War II, planes flying overhead, bombs are dropping. Not a great place. I'm sure it's a lovely place, but not a good place to be. You don't want to be anywhere in Europe or Hawaii during World War II. So it's World War II is winding down. We're in Romania. It's not, it's, it's not a tourist destination at this point. We're specifically in the city of Bucharest, 1944. We're walking down the street, and we hear a... Storm breaks. Water. You don't understand how storms work. Rain comes out of clouds. Hitting the ground. Ah. We're made of sugar. We can't be out in the rain. So we're kind of hiding, huddled underneath a storefront awning. It's late at night. And we see a figure kind of walking through the streets. And we watch this guy walk. We actually probably should do something, but we're not going to. We can't. We're time travelers. We're watching this guy walk, and we see him stop by a basement window. So you have a house, and you have a little window. You know, every how every the law is every room has to have a window for carbon monoxide poisoning. Because for a while there, I was thinking about building an underground <laughs> facility. Like, could I have a house completely underground? And legally, no. You have to have a window in every home. I know they have, like, those underground bunkers, but... You have to have all these generators and stuff for air filtration and things like that. But you can't live in them. Like, you can't build, apparently, you can't build an underground bunker and then go live in said bunker. There has to be, well, you can, but the cops, you can get arrested for it or they'll condemn the place. You have to have a window in every room that can be open for carbon monoxide poisoning. So these, you have these basement apartments in Romania, in Bucharest, and there's a little basement window there. And this guy's walking through the storm. And he comes to a basement window, and he looks down, and he gets down on all fours, and he opens it up. He slithers inside, like a rat crawling into a sewer. And it's, we actually probably should, do. okay, in this version, we run, and we chase him off. Okay, that'll put us in a better mood that we actually tried something. But, so, in this version, we run, and we chase him off from this particular victim. But in reality, four women in 1944... This guy slithered in through their basement window, bashed him up with a blunt object, murdered them in their beds. Then he'd crawl back out of the basement and run down the street. Now, the cops would come out to these murders and they'd be like, well, this is kind of weird because, and I didn't know this was a thing, but he was wearing size 42 shoes in Europe, which is the U.S. equivalent of a size 8, which is supposedly, I guess it's a not a common shoe size. It's a shorter, it's a smaller foot. So that was one of their big clues. They're like, well, we must be looking for a man who's not particularly large because he has such a tiny foot. But he, he hit, struck four times, killed four women, and then just disappeared. And he was never caught. Police were just scratching their head. They're like, oh, that's weird. We have, <laughs> there's more than weird. It's brutal crime that happened four times. So they go, happens during a storm, man with a small foot, four women killed. And then never caught. And the war ends, and then you have the 50s, and I don't know what was going on in Romania in the 50s. Hippies. No, that was even later. Anyways, the stuff was normal. Bombs weren't dropping anymore. Everything kind of got back to normal. Now we're in the year 1970. 26 years later, a city of Bucharest is at peace. And then there's a violent snowstorm. Snow, Snow everywhere. Winter Wonderland. I can get out of my way. We're walking down a snowy street. Never mind. No, no, we're not. We're not anywhere near these next series of events because these are so horrible. 
Snowstorm. Woman's walking on the street. A waitress is leaving her work to walk home. Guy walks up behind her. Hits her over the back of the head. Later, huge rainstorm. (sighs) Waitress walking down the street. Holding her jacket close to her. She's so cold. Getting just drenched. Trying to make it home. Guy walks up behind her. Hits her over the back of the head. Rapes her. Storm raging all around them. Fog. Deep fog. Just settles into the city. Everyone's heard about these attacks by now. Young women walking home. Looking over their shoulder. Someone jumps out of the darkness. Stabs them. This was going on and on. And it got to the point where women said, We're not going out unless we are in groups or there are men with us. The police could not catch who was doing this. But they did establish a pattern. It happened during storms. But he still found victims. And what really set the city off is that a woman was walking down the street and someone came up behind her and attacked her and began stabbing her in the back. And as she was pressed against the wall, she felt his mouth on one of her stab wounds sucking the blood out of her back. Now, that assault was stopped. He ran away. But now you have Romania in fear of a vampire. An old creature of legend from Romania. There's a man walking down the street, attacking women, drinking their blood, murdering them. Next morning, bus driver sees a woman laying on the side of the road, calls the cops. They get there, cordon off the scene, doing their investigation. They go to move the body, turn it over. Parts of the body are bitten. Next time they go to the crime scene, move the body. Parts of the body are bitten off and missing. So the cops are like, this guy's eating these people in, on, in the middle of the street, in the middle of the night, when no one can see him. He's just eating, biting pieces off of them, and we can't find them. They had a victim die on Vulture Street, and... It had all the hallmarks of this person, who at this point was being called the Vampire of Bucharest, the Wolfman. But people were afraid that a monster of old, a monster of legend, was stalking the streets. When they would take these women back, we had the big one on Vulture Street. You take these women back to the corner office, they're doing an investigation. They would find post-mortem rape. So now he's a necrophiliac as well. And the cops just don't know how to catch this guy. He is somehow still able to pick these women out, even though you have groups of people, you have people being escorted home, like a werewolf, like a beast, is able to spot the prey in its most vulnerable state and get it. Cops say, we're done. It's 1971 now. There have been 12 major attacks. Quite a few minor assaults, quite a few things where he was being chased off, but there was 12 12 of those in total at this point. It's 1971. The cops initiate Operation Vulture. They say, let's get the crew together. We're taking this monster out. You had 6,000 law enforcement officers from all over the country descend upon Bucharest. The police got bartenders. Not to serve them drinks. They got bartenders to help them find this person. Bus drivers. Taxi drivers. Hotel employees. Basically, everyone who could be was, in a sense, deputized. You are going to help us stop this guy. This is Operation Vulture, because she died. This one woman died on Vulture Street. 
Three women have been murdered at this point, and then nine very serious assaults and rapes. And also involved in the search was the Securitate, the Securitate, which is Romania's secret police. So at that point, you kind of want to be caught by the regular cops, maybe a hotel employee, because those dudes, you will just disappear, and they'll be like, well, we never found him, and he's being tortured to this day. But you have the Securitate, I think that's how you pronounce it, on the scene as well. Another woman is killed while you have 6,000 law enforcement officers and the city looking for him. But that is when they get their first clue after all this time. Now, they during Operation Vulture, over 2,500 people were arrested, looked at, interrogated, and then let go. Couldn't find this guy. But this is where they found the clue. He murders this woman doing the investigation. When they roll her body over, there's a sheet of paper underneath her, covered in blood. But there's one part of the paper that isn't covered in blood. It's the letterhead for where the piece of paper came from. It says, Bucharest Student Hospital. Cops are all looking at each other. This is the very first break they've got in the case. Now, they know that when they catch the guy from all the bite marks, they can identify him. There was enough people who saw him in failed assaults, because a couple times he was assaulting someone, someone would be like, hey, get out of here, and he would take off. Enough people saw him during the assaults, they thought, if we can get this guy in front of a police lineup, we can identify him. We could definitely match his teeth up to all these bite marks he's left on all these women. But out of this huge city, we need to find him first. This is the first clue. So they find this sheet of paper. It says Bucharest Student Hospital. They are able to track that letterhead to a particular doctor at the student hospital. And they he gives them a list of 83 students that he had recently seen. Out of those 83, 15 of them had not turned in their medical paperwork to the school yet. So you'd go to the hospital, you'd get treated by a doctor, you'd have to take the paperwork back to the school. Out of the 83 this particular doctor had treated, 15 of them had not turned in their paperwork yet. So that means, this is what I love about police work. I just love the, the investigation side of it. That's what I enjoy most about these true crime stories. They go, it has to be one of these 15 kids. Everyone else has already turned in their paperwork. So they watch each of those 15 kids. They put them under investigation. And one of them, they say, let's go to his dorm. He's acting a little suspicious. So the police just go, no search warrants. It's not America. Police go into his dorm, start writing. And actually, maybe they wouldn't even need one because it's technically college property. But they go into the dorm. They start rifling through his stuff. Nothing. They're not finding anything suspicious. But as the police are there, tearing his place up, tearing down his Pink Floyd posters, knocking over his lava lamp, a young man walks through the door named Ion Rimuru. And I'm most likely pronouncing that wrong, but Ion Rimuru walks through the door of his college dorm. He has a backpack on, and the cops are like, let me see your backpack. Shows him the backpack. They find an axe and a knife. Cuff him. Take him downtown. Ion Rimuru grew up in Romania. He had his father, Floria was a pretty abusive man, apparently. Kind of had a weak mom, strong father. Fairly abusive, physically abusive to the mom. He was listed as a good student. Like, he had high marks in his classes. But he was also considered semi-literate. So he had to work harder to do everything. Teachers thought he was a good student overall. Other peers thought he was a big old weirdo. When he was at the dorm, his roommates didn't even want to be near him. They would go anywhere to avoid hanging out with Ion. He was just involved in a lot of weird stuff. He was just an odd person to be around. 
So the cops bring him down there. Interview- now that they have a suspect, they put him in police lineups. People go, women go, that's him. That's the guy. Teeth match up. At one point, one of the victims pulled some hair out of his head. Thank God. I love it. When, people, when victims do that, pulled some hair out of his head. They were able to match the hair that the victim had versus the hair that was still on his head. Oh, and I should say, like, when Operation Vulture happened, he had that one other murder. And then three more attempted murders and rapes before they finally were able to track him down. Like, they had the letter, but he still attacked four more times and killed one more woman even after they were able to get a hold of that letter. So anyways, he's now being interrogated. He says he's crazy. He's insane. He confesses to these crimes. A lot of stuff comes out. One of the things is that Floria, his father, would actually try to stop him. Knew he was killing these women and be like, give me your axe, son, you big old piece of garbage. Give me that axe. Give me that hammer. You can't be doing this. And then he would give him back to his son. He'd be like, ah, here you go. I'm sorry. Come here, son. You can do what you want. You're a big boy. He gives him the stuff. So that was coming out. Floria was like, no, 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 that's not true. The son was saying that my father, it was all it was all because of him. He's the one who made me do this. And the cops are just like, you know, that might be true. But the point of the matter is, you were the one murdering these people. And he's like, I can't help it. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. Somebody stop me. Literally, because I'm a serial killer. And they're like, oh, great. So they get him diagnosed. They're bringing in all these psychiatrists and stuff like that. One of the diagnoses was clinical lycanthropy which is the belief that you are turning into an animal. You're not physically turning into a monster, but you believe you're turning into a monster, so you do monstrous things, and you don't know the difference between right and wrong and things like that. But that diagnosis came later. Earlier, he was found sane. They go, he totally knew what he was doing was wrong. He wasn't insane. And that point when he found out that he was not going to be able to plead insanity... His demeanor completely changed and he recanted all of his confessions and he says, I didn't do any of it. My dad had nothing to do with it, but it was too late. He already confessed all these crimes. They find him guilty and sentence him to death. And they say as he's being led out of the truck into the fire, there's a firing squad over there. You have three men going to shoot him to death and they have to drag him into. Did you know last meals are normally drugged? That's what I've heard. I don't know how true that is, but there's a. Urban legend, I, I would be surprised if it's not true, that your last meal has a sedative in it, or they will just give you a sedative, but that's why people just kind of calmly walk into the ex- execution chamber. Because otherwise, you'd be fighting and thrashing the whole way. But yeah, usually the last meal has a sedative in it that just kind of calms you down. So, that didn't happen here. He was led into the execution room, and he was flipping out. He fought the whole way. And he was saying stuff like, call my father so he can see what's happening to me. Make him come. He's the only guilty one. And they're like dragging him to this pole that they're going to tie him to. And he's begging to live. Now, again, right? it's funny because I was telling somebody this. I was telling Deb, my friends Deb and Julie about this story. They listened to the podcast. They got a preview because I was hanging out with them. And they go, oh, well, maybe his dad has something to do with it. And I said, the thing is, is like his his teeth were at the crime scene. Whether or not his dad was directing him or helping him, he was the one doing it because they matched his hair and his teeth to these women. But he's blaming his dad. They tie him to the pole. 
And he's running around the pole now like a Looney Tune character, but he can't leave. And the guys are trying to take aim at him. And he's 23. I guess I should have mentioned that earlier. He's a 23-year-old college student. He's running around this pole, and the guys are just trying to get a good shot at him. And he's running. And then finally, they go, well, this is, what are we going to do? So they shot him in the back. They just He had their back to him because he was kept spinning around. And they just shot him a bunch of times and killed him. Which is a bad move. Generally, if you do firing squad, they'll shoot you right in the heart. It'll be over pretty quickly, but he's running around like Wile E. Coyote. So, that's all, folks. And they buried him in an unmarked grave. But, actually, that's not that's all, folks. Because then, one year after he was executed, Floria was on a train going through Romania. Falls out. And is crushed by the train. And almost immediately... The rumors went out. He was assassinated by the secret police. They take his body to a medical examiner. Got to figure out what's going on, right? It's proper procedure. And it was there that they realized that this man, Floria Rimuru, had size 8 feet. So the working theory is this. His father was a serial killer in 1944. Killed those four women. And then, as far as anyone knows, went dormant all that time. And the killings ended in 1944. His son was born in 1945. And then when his son is 23, four women are killed, 12 are assaulted, and then there was other minor crimes. The theory was was that Floria was the original serial killer, and he either taught his son to kill women, like inspired him to do that, or it was some sort of defective gene that was passed on. And that he was not necessarily physically assisting his son in the murders, but may have been a guiding hand in them. Maybe just a little bit of inspiration, maybe actually directing him to go do these things. And that the secret police knew that they probably couldn't really prove it, but they also knew that when you need to kill a vampire, you also have to kill its sire. When Ion was operating in the city of Bucharest, He had that city in fear. But it wasn't just fear of a man. It was fear of a myth. When the streets are empty and the elements keep everyone inside. Except for a lone woman trying to get home. When she is assaulted, murdered, eaten. It's one of those times that even a rational person would think. Maybe there is a werewolf out there. They may not say it out loud. They may not admit it in public. But I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of smart, learned, skeptical people, on those stormy nights in Bucharest, slept with the light on, afraid that a monster that haunted their childhood dreams was truly out there in the dark cold storm deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address you can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio twitter is at deadrabbitradio deadrabbitradio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast you don't have to listen to it every day but I'm glad you listened to it today have a great one guys